1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, if you will, chapter 5, small statements that are big deals. This is part one. Um, I could have made this one message, but it would have been uh, probably nothing more than you just simply reading the text itself. And so I, I figured I would break this up because there is so much here that needs to be touched down. That is very important. Um, God gives us small statements many times, but folks, they are all big deals because he wouldn't have preserved his, weir- his word as he has if they were not. And uh, let us look at our text today. Let me say by beginning, uh, beginning by saying this, uh, the local church... The local church, not the building now. The building is the building. The church is the people. The local church is made up of many parts. And while this is true of the saints individually, in other words, we are all part of what that makes that up, it is also true of the mission and the goals we have. Uh, We need to apply ourselves in many areas, many areas, to make our church a Christ-honoring church. You've heard me say it often, and it's something that I, I really want to, to people to grasp, and, and I will be saying this for the rest of my life, is that the success of a local church is never made up of like uh, a, a big event here and a big event there. Now, I love big events, and souls get saved, and we rejoice in that, But the success of a local church is the day-in and day-out faithfulness of the saints that make it up. It's the little things, okay? We're going to look at some of those small statements today that that are big deals. Those little things are, in fact, big deals. And it's as we pay close attention to everything, everything, and we try to apply that, that is when the quality starts coming out. That is when the stability the joy, the enthusiasm. That is when there's lives transformed, and that is the will of God. When you trust Christ as Savior, all right, that is not the end, folks. That's what religion teaches. Well, that's the end. You got heaven. That's the end. No, that's not the end. That's the beginning. When you get saved, you receive eternal life. You become a child of God. You are born into the God's family. You're not dying into God's family. You're born into God's family. You're an eternal child of God, and a new life has begun for you, and and a a new birth has come into your life. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But God wants us to not only know that we have eternal life, we're going to go to be with the Lord by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. He also wants us, while while we're still here, to fulfill His will for our lives. And so we are looking at some of the small statements of of Scripture this week and next week that are really, in fact, very big deals in the eyes of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now, we're going to look at two major issues in our passage today. One is a proper respect for church leadership, and the second one is a biblical commitment to one another. You see that in your outline this morning, all right? And uh, we're going to break those down because all, all, both of those have subpoints that are incredibly important, and they're brought out here in our text. But let's look at some of the qualities God wants us to have. Number one is this, a proper respect for church leadership. Now, I get a kick out of when I preach on something like this because people say, well, well, uh, don't you get uncomfortable talking about this because it has to do with you and what you do and so forth like that? And, uh, you know, I, 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 would be, I wouldn't be honest with you if, if I was to say, you know, there's never a little, a little bit of a twinge of something here and there on this. But the truth of it is this. I preach these things with joy. Why? Because they're part of the text. And God says to us, preach the word, preach the whole counsel of God. And therefore, for me to say, you know, and, and we may get people who end up watching or hearing this down the road who are going to bristle by what we're going to cover the first part of this. Friend, here's what I ask you to do, okay? Don't, don't measure what you're hearing, whether it sounds right to you. Take what you hear and compare it with the Word of God, right? That's what it's about. It's not about my opinion, my feelings, your opinion, your feelings. It's about thus saith the Lord. 
And if God says it, and if I bristle towards something God says, it shows that I'm not right with God. It doesn't mean God made a mistake. It means that I'm not right with God. Now, this first one is this, a proper respect for church leadership. Whenever a pastor speaks on this, there are always those who will get on the defensive about it. Many today see the idea of submission to authority as as a legalistic or a sinful uh, thing. Uh, I'm amazed, and this is really out there today. It is really out there today. And I have found this. You know, these kind of things, I can speak on this, and somebody could comment on this. And uh, what we have out there, folks, uh, even towards people in ministry, uh, there is cyberbullying going on today where people will not understand something or they've had a bad experience, he- they hear something that, that uh, affects them because of their bad past experience, and they'll make a statement, and then there's all these people in the woods who come out and pile on, and then they go back into the woods. All right? That's how they do it. You figure, you know, well, I can do this. I can pile on. I can, I can uh, bully somebody uh, on the Internet because I'm safe at home and no one will ever be able to hold me accountable. Well, I got news for you. You're going to see God face to face one day. You better be careful in what you say, okay? I had a dear lady who uh, has been uh, listening to our ministry and been very encouraging with us uh, this last week, I think it was. She got a hold of me and and, uh, said something about some book that I had referenced here at church. I won't say what it is. I don't want to get off on a big, long tangent on this. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's a very good book. But uh, she said, uh, I hear that you recommend this, this author and this book that he wrote. And I said, yes, I, I did. And, and uh, she said, well, uh, you know, there was a, there's this. And she gave me the link. She was very nice to give me the link. And she wasn't condemning me or judging me. She was just kind of a, you know, F, F. YI? Is that what it is for you? Yeah, FYI. All these letters today, you got to be careful what you say. But, um, but anyways, I, I went there and I read the comments and it was nothing but an exercise in cyberbullying. Something, mis- somebody misrepresented what this man said, put it out on the internet, and then you've got all these people condemning the man. Well, I happen to have the book And I spent probably about 45 minutes this week going through it, not finding what they were saying he was saying. I searched the book on the computer for terms and and all this. All right? Here's what it is. The man takes a very strong position on a biblical truth that is absolutely clear in Scripture. But people today, either through bad experiences that they have had or through one thing or another, they don't like that, and therefore they condemn it and say, and this is awful, this is terrible, this is this, this is that. Whereas there's Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture to support the position. And I said to this lady, I said, you know, I said, you know, I, I don't see that. I went back and forth with her through email. I said, I, I just don't see that, uh, anything wrong with it. I said, if somebody can show me these things, I would be glad to retract my statement as far as support. So anyways, um, uh, then she encouraged, she thanked me for that and, and all that, and it turned out good, and she, she kind of admitted, yeah, people do that, they pile on, and uh, it's not a good thing. And it's not a good thing. Folks, listen, you be careful not to get involved in that kind of stuff, okay? The best thing to do, if you, if you don't, don't get on something and then just start opining, opining, piling on, piling on, Listen, if you're going to come out against something, you better be sure you've got your position right before you open your mouth. Otherwise, it's going to come back on you and it's going to make you look bad. So be careful about that, okay? I did get off on a tangent there, but it is an important thing for us to learn in these days of, you know, instant messaging and messenger and Facebook and this thing and that thing and tweeting A lot of people could learn some lessons about tweeting, right? Okay. All right. So let's look at this. What about this issue of a proper respect for church leadership? All right. Many see the idea today of submission to leadership as legalistic or something sinful. Simply put, uh, folks, 
this attitude is wrong. We should have an attitude of if the Bible teaches it, we accept it. I made a statement years ago, and it still stands today, and it is this. The humanness of man does not nullify the truth of God. All right? Because there are some who would abuse their authority in the local church does not do away with the fact that there are overseers and God-ordained authority in the local church. Now, I understand. Listen, I'm not a, I haven't been born recently, okay? I've been in this a long time, and I understand there are abusive pastors. There, there are abusive leaders and all that. But that doesn't mean the principle of leadership and authority in the local church is false. It means that people misapply it and, and, and do it and, and handle it in a wrong way. But it doesn't mean that that's not true, that it shouldn't be there. We see it right here in Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. And by the way, I could give you many Scriptures on this, but because of time, we won't go there today. I will just mention this, a call-out to Hebrews chapter 13, uh, 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 in verses, I think it's 7 and 17, if I'm not mistaken. You can check that out on your own time. But let me just make some applications here, some, some insights. First one is this. There are people in God's plan who are over people. All right? There are people in God's plan who are over people. While we are all the same as far as hu- of human value and we're all the same as far as God loving all of us the same, that is true, we are not all the same as far as office or function. There is such a thing as church leadership, people over other people. It's not a bad thing. It's only bad when that gets abused. But it's not a bad thing. What it does is it brings peace and order to the local church. You've heard the statement probably before, the cliché, when there's, when there's a, a, an organization or a group of people that's in chaos, and many times, what's the problem at the root? Here's the statement. Too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Okay? Now, I know, you know, people, oh, wait a minute, you said Indian. Yes, I did. And you know what's interesting? The quote-unquote Native Americans call themselves Indians, but we, we call them, you know what? I call them Indians. Okay? Now, you want to call them Native Americans? Okay, I'll call them Native Americans too. But it's those people. Okay? If you want to call me, I'm Italian, but if you want to call me something other than that, okay, you can call me a WAP, you can call me this, you can call me that. Guess what? I don't care what you call me. Let's get over it. Let's get over this name stuff, okay? Anyway. Whatever happened to when we were kids? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Okay? We hear a name today. Somebody call me a name. Grow up. Will you grow up? Come on. You know what our problem is? Can I tell you what our problem is? We have too much prosperity and luxury in America. Okay? We're babies. What we need is some persecution to where we grow up and quit majoring on the minors. We need to major on the majors. Now, notice the statement there in verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are what? Over you in the Lord. The word literally means to stand before, where it says over you, to stand before. This would refer to the pastor or the preacher. He is the one who stands before the people. It is an issue of having high respect for the one who labors in the Word of God in prayer. That's the way it's supposed to be. It is a place of respect. Folks, one of the reasons why most preachers today don't last more than five years in one spot is because they get burnt out. It's because people don't respect them. It's because people people attack. You know, people can be really sweet on Sunday morning, and then they go home for lunch, and they have roast pastor. And they think that's okay. It's not okay. If you've got something to say, come personally about it. Okay? He, now listen, the man who's a pastor, the one who stands before the people, he is to be qualified 
He is to be godly, as well as are all the other elders and leadership in the church, to be qualified and godly men. They shouldn't be in that office if they're not qualified, if they're not godly. But if they are qualified and godly, they should be properly respected. Why? Because God is the one who set up the office. That's why. And to disrespect that office is to disrespect God. Very important. He is to be qualified, godly, as well as the others. Now, there is a way to lead, and there's also a way not to lead. And we know that. And listen, I know there are abusive pastors, and I've heard stories and real-life accounts of things that have happened to people. My heart goes out to them. But the truth of it is this, folks. Listen, I'm not, there's no excuse for it, but I'm saying this. We live in a fallen world, Okay? And it is amazing to me that God, by His grace, would let us do anything because we mess up so much, don't we? I mean, we just mess it up. Look, hold your place here and look with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. You think of the disciples, the early disciples of Jesus, the 12, okay? And they they went with Him, and, and you think of how Peter was before the uh, church started in Acts chapter 2. Think of him now. Think of him. Think of all the things he said. Think of how many times. I mean, I would imagine his, his mouth was probably this shape because he put his foot in it so often. But the Lord didn't give up on him, right? As a matter of fact, he was a, he was a profound, he was a giant in the faith. He turned out to be a giant. And many times when the other disciples were either nonchalant or out to lunch, so to speak, in their minds or fearful or whatever, here's Peter, and Peter's the one who steps up to the plate. Peter's the one who got out of the boat and walked on the water. He's the only one, all right? Peter's the one who, who when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Thou art the, who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Man, it was Peter he stood up. Yeah, but pastor, he, he, uh, he denied the Lord. Yes, he did deny the Lord. But you know what? He got back in fellowship, and look how greatly he was used. Isn't it amazing that God would use any of us? That's why, folks, listen, that is why he gives us qualifications and principles and qualities that need to be there because he understands, whoa, if this is just wide open, we are really going to have a mess on our hands. I'll give them qualities that men have to have before they can lead those people because those people are obligated to trust them, not blindly now, only as it fits into the Scripture, but to trust them. Look at it, 1 Peter 5, 1. The elders which are among you, elders or overseers, their church leadership. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. This is Peter writing. He says, feed the flock of God. Now that word feed means to shepherd, to shepherd. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Do you see that? Take the oversight. That has to do with leadership. That has to do with leading, being over. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, okay, but willingly. In other words, not not because you're forced into it, but because you are willing to do it, okay? Not for filthy lucre, not for the sake of money, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage. Obviously, that picture is a, is a negative one. It's somebody who, who is like, yeah, I'll take that because I want power over people. Man, I want to, you know, I want to be, be the ruler, so to speak. It's an attitude of lording it over people or, or making them your slaves. No, that's a wrong attitude. That's a wrong attitude. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Let me say today, please get this. There is to be a sacred trust between the congregation and the pastor. 
The, the congregation expects him to live right and exercise his office properly, and that is proper. And he expects them to live right and embrace the truth he is teaching them and put it into practice. And that also is proper, and that's a sacred trust. You trust me to be a right example and to lead you biblically and to teach you the truth. That is proper. That's, that's correct. That is biblical. That's to be expected. I'm going to be judged based on how I fulfill that responsibility and that role. Now, you know what? A man who takes that seriously is not going to be a dictator to the people. He's not going to want to rule over them just for the sake of flexing muscle, so to speak. Why? Because he understands. Listen, I'm going to give an account for my attitudes and actions. But so will you. So will you. You're going to give an account by how well you follow and how well you apply the Word of God. I'd say, this is kind of pointed. Well, it is, but you know, the Scriptures are that way. That's why it's called the sword of the Spirit. It's got a point to it. The local church is a fellowship and a team effort. It is the family of God. There are to be no spectators in the family. Now, stop and think about that for a moment. If you're saved by the grace of God, if you've trusted Jesus Christ and Him alone as your Savior, when you come to church here, you are not to be coming as a spectator. See, this is, that's why a lot of churches have it wrong today. What they do is they put on a show. They put on a type of a show, like a, like a program. Folks, we are to be laboring, serving the Lord when we come to church. Yes, you're going to come and you're going to get, but it's more than coming to get, okay? That's a consumer mentality. It's carnal. You are to be coming to give, to give your voice when we sing, to give encouragement to the saints around you, to give money to the, to the, uh, to the ministry of the local church, to just simply give of your gifts and your abilities that you have, which, by the way, are important. Did you know if you're saved by grace, God has given you specific gifts and talents and abilities that are to be used for His glory? It's not just, well, I just come and I listen and I go. What can you do? Okay, you might say, well, I want a, a specific job in church. That could come in time, but you know what your, your main job is? is to be a blessing to people around you. Bring others. Pray. Encourage. Invite. Give. Share the gospel. Every Christian can do that, whether you've got an official office or not. I just love these truths. See, how, how does this affect you? Secondly, leadership, particularly the pastor, is to put God's truth into the minds of believers. Do you see that in verse 12 where it says, admonish? We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. The word admonish related to the word admonition, nutheo, it means to put into the mind, to put into the mind. A pastor has a responsibility to put God's truth into the mind of believers. We need to be careful to teach the Word accurately and thoroughly. Folks, it takes time to prepare. Most people think pastors have this. Now, there are some denominations who have this, okay? They have 52 weeks. They have a, a sermon outline. It's, it's, it's a thing. It's, it's a book that you get, and here it is. Here's the, here's the title of the message. Here's the sermon outline. Here's some suggested verses, uh, in case it's too hard for you to find the books of the Bible. And um, that's a joke, hopefully. And, uh, and so there you go. And every year, same 52 messages. They're all laid out for you and all that. You know what I say to that? I say, yuck. Yuck. Man, I'll tell you what. I love my time in the Word of God and God gives me fresh things, and God gives me thoughts, and the Holy Spirit leads, and there are scriptures, and, and new scriptures, and new understanding, and when it comes time for me to preach and teach, I can't wait to get up and do it. Why? Because uh, I've been with God. 
and his word, okay? Now, everybody can get with God. This is not a special thing for a pastor. I'm just saying, that's where this, this comes. But it takes time, and I want to be careful. And I honestly, I do the best I can in giving you the truth accurately and biblically and in a way that you can apply it to your life. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is written to Timothy, the young pastor who was scared. Paul wrote him. It's Paul's last letter, and Timothy was a prodigy of, of the apostle Paul, and, and uh, Timothy was, was fearful in ministry. And you know what? Uh, let me say this. I believe with all my heart the days ahead are going to be more difficult for pastors than they've ever been in this country. I think they're going to be more difficult. We are coming into difficult times, and folks, we are not that far away from losing this nation from the principles that it was based on. Listen, if, if, if I don't care what party you have, but let me say this. If socialism gets elected into America, we are done. We are done. And those of you who are young, young adults, okay, uh, hopefully you have been schooled enough to know how evil and wicked and wrong socialism is. It is anti-biblical. Okay? Anti-biblical. And it is against the founding and the principles that this nation was founded on. It is anti-American. Be careful. Say, well, I'm going to vote for... I heard some, some, uh, some wacko congresswoman this week. I don't, know, I don't know any other word for it. I'm not trying to be mean. For her to suggest this is nutty. Okay? She said the time has come when the voting age should go down to 16 years old. What? Are you kidding me? Now listen, no offense to those of you who are 16. And we're glad you're here and we love you. But let me tell you, folks, this thing about voting is serious. And you need to have your head more focused on adult concepts than the fun of high school life. Because this is, we're talking about the future of our country. And the things you've enjoyed up to this point has not been because of socialism. And they're not going to be there if we're not careful on how we vote. 2 Timothy 4.1 I charge thee, Paul talking to Timothy, the young pastor, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing at his kingdom. You notice he says, I charge thee therefore. Therefore. What is the therefore? Therefore. Because in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, talks about all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Okay? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Okay? It's the word of God that is inspired and it is the word of God that we need. And when the word of God is let loose in the life of people, when it's preached and taught properly and in context and accurately, it accomplishes a work that nothing else can accomplish. Therefore, what should the preacher do? Preach the word, verse 2. Preach it. That's different than sharing it. To preach means to herald out the truth of God. It's not a dialogue. It's not a discussion. It's a statement. It's a proclamation. That's what preaching is. Preach the word. Be instant, ready, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Now, those aren't pleasant, pleasant words. Reprove, convict. Convict. You ever come to church and you feel like your toes have been trampled on a little bit? That's a good thing. It's biblical. Rebuke. People don't like to be rebuked. What you're doing is wrong. You need to quit it. Because God says so. Not because I say so. God says so. Exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the, look at this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The word endure means put up with. 
But what will they do? After their own lust, after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. The people want their ears itched or tickled. And so they will go somewhere and find somebody who teaches a prosperity gospel or something like it and doesn't really tell us about our need for change. And they'll find somebody who all they do is pat them on the back and tell them how great they are. Just a positive, uplifting coach. And that's all they do. Now listen, there's a place for it, but that's not all that's there. See, if we're preaching the Word as it is, everything gets covered, both the positive and the negative. That's the beauty of Scripture. I've learned that over the years. It's the beauty of Scripture. By the way, that's why we go verse by verse a lot of the time. That way everything's covered. And what shall these people who don't want to hear the truth, what will they do? They shall turn turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Fables. You know what a fable is. It's a make-believe story. A lot of churches today are giving a make-believe story. It's not the story of the Bible. It's only one-sided. And if it's one-sided, it's a fable. <clears throat> Let's move on. <clears throat> so we see leadership, particularly the pastor, is, is to put God's truth into the minds of believers. Third, church leadership is to be esteemed very highly in love for their work's sake. They need to be highly esteemed or valued or considered because of what they are doing for the church. They are bringing the Word of God to the church. What could be more important when we come together? Folks, that's why we, are, we don't give a 15-minute sermonette for Christianettes here. You can't hardly cover anything in 15 minutes and 45 minutes of, of, of praise and worship music. No. If anything, it should be flipped. It's the Word of God we need more than anything else. You can go home and listen to music and sing. Now, we do it, and it's an important part that the early church sang, but the focus of the early church was not a music concert with strobe lights and music so loud to where people literally, like they do today in some churches, they go around before the service with a tray with ear earplugs to hand out to the people. By the way, that's happening here in St. Cloud. In case the music is too loud for you, here's some earplugs you can have. Would you like some earplugs? Hey, I got news for you, man. If you need earplugs, the music's too loud. If it's even a question. Anyways, that's not the point. The point is this. For those who are doing their job from the pulpit properly church leadership. They should be esteemed very highly in love for their work's sake. Well, aren't you talking about yourself? I'm talking about anybody who does this. Anybody. If, if well, it wasn't me, it's whoever comes next. And I speak for all the churches that have the truth of God. Let me tell you something, folks. A church where the gospel of grace is being taught and the word of God's being caught in in, in context, dispensationally and accurately. Uh, listen, those pastors ought to be highly esteemed and they ought to be valued and treasured by the church. Why? Because you can't find a lot of them today. That's why. It's like a rare jewel. Preaching the true gospel of grace. How many churches do you go, go into that preach the true gospel of grace? Clearly, to where people get it. Faithfully, to where it's always there. Where you can count on it. You bring a visitor, you know they're going to hear how to be saved. See, these men are shepherding according to Scripture. Those who do this are fulfilling a very high calling and responsibility. It is a sobering responsibility. Let me tell you. You don't take it lightly. If the office is being carried out properly, it should be deeply appreciated by the church. Fourth, we should be striving for peace. Why? And by the way, do you notice that at the end of verse 13? It's to esteem them very highly in love for their works sake and be at peace among yourselves. Can I tell you this? When a church has proper respect towards authority, 
and are seeing it properly in a balanced way, and the authority sees it properly and in a balanced way, you know what it gives? Peace. There's peace in the church. You don't have anybody trying to uh, uh, execute a coup in the local church. Now, there are some churches where that is going on, and it shouldn't be. We should be striving for peace. Why? Because a house divided can't stand. That's why. And we are supposed to be standing for the truth and fulfilling the Great Commission. Pride undermines progress in the local church. When there is proper submission to God's plan, it is much easier for there to be peace in the church and progress in the church. Peace and progress when things are right. Okay, enough on church leadership. I think you got it. The second part is this. There needs to be a biblical commitment to one another. As we start going over these truths, ask yourself, ask yourself, how involved am I in this important part of the ministry? Verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. Let's break this down. Warn the unruly. We know who are the unruly. Okay, that's not talking about your hair. There's an answer for that, you know. But those who are unruly, it's it's literally it's talking about those who are out of step. They're insubordinate. Okay? They're not keeping rank. In other words, they're saved by grace, but they're not living that way. This would certainly apply to verses 12 and 13, by the way. Those who are in rebellion towards a leadership who want to make life miserable for them. Those who will not follow the Word of God. This sounds easy, but it is not. Can I tell you, when you warn the unruly, you are playing with dynamite. It's like walking into a buzzsaw. Can I tell you, folks, the hardest thing to do for a pastor is to confront rebellion in the church. It is a nightmare that most people never, ever realize or experience. But it is tough and it is hard. And sometimes it works out beautifully and sometimes it doesn't. And it can cause all kinds of problems, by the way, including lawsuits How would you like to lose everything you've got because you stood on the Word of God? It's happening. It's happening. Warn the unruly. There are so many believers today who are carnal and double-minded, and if you warn them, if you approach them, if you call them in, they go ballistic. And by the way, a lot of them turn to social media and will smear you and drag you through the mud and crucify your character like nobody's business. Comfort the feeble-minded, those who are faint-hearted, those who are spiritually down. We need to be encouragers for those who are hurting, struggling through life, don't we? Many people are going through difficult trials in life, and we need to be aware of that. When they are, we need to be there as an encouragement and a blessing and a help to them, okay? Support the weak. This, the weak here refers to those without strength. This refers, I believe, primarily to those who are physically weak or those who are sick. What can we do? Sometimes there's nothing you can do. Sometimes you don't even know that somebody's sick. Last, be patient towards all men. Long-suffering towards all men. This takes being under the control of the Holy Spirit. what's the old saying to dwell above to dwell in love with saints above oh that will be glory To to dwell below with saints below or something like that well that's another story (laughs) Um, we are imperfect We know the truth of God, but you know what, folks? Sometimes we just get under each other's skin, don't we? It takes the Holy Spirit because sometimes you want to retaliate. Let let me tell you, sometimes, listen, Christians can be some of the nastiest people in the world. Nasty. 
and we will want to retaliate. God says, no, you don't retaliate. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, see that none render evil for evil to any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Okay, which leads us to our last point. Always respond the right way, even when mistreated. This is an issue of mercy and grace. You might say, well, that person doesn't deserve that. You're right. You're right, they don't deserve it. We, we are uh, recipients of the grace of God and the mercy of God, are we not? We sin, we do things wrong. We do things wrong to people. What do we deserve? Well, those things are sin. We deserve hell. We all deserve hell. But God, who is rich in mercy, with his great love where, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. By grace ye are saved. Romans 12, 17 says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And I love Romans, I love Romans 12, 18. Wow, God is so... He knows us. He knows us, verse 18, if it be possible, <laughs> as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Have you ever said that person is impossible? Okay. Well, maybe they are in a sense. Maybe we are in a sense. Okay. See, folks, the mission of the church is to reach the world for Christ. This is no small task. We need every believer, every believer on the planet to be fully engaged in this. Why? Because hell awaits the lost. That little disagreement or friction or this or that or problem or whatever that kink is in the local church, in the family, the local uh, family of God, okay? Whatever that is, uh, what is the, what is really the issue at stake? The issue at stake is lost people are going to hell. That's the issue at stake. One famous preacher said this, please listen. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap into hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. It's real. Turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Now you could be here today and maybe this is all kind of foreign that you've heard. But I want to challenge you, dear friend, you need to be saved. Saved from what? You need to be saved from your sin. You need to be saved from hell. You might say, well, that's that old fire and brimstone religion stuff. Let me tell you something. The fire and the brimstone are real. And the religion, forget the religion part. Here's the point. We all need to be saved because we're all sinners. And if we die with our sin, we're going to be lost forever. But the Bible gives a beautiful message. I want to look at these three verses in a row, and then I want to go back to them. John chapter 3 and verse 16. It says this, For God so loved the world, that includes you, that he gave his only begotten son. That was Jesus. God gave his son to die on the cross and pay for our sin. And he did that, and he rose from the grave. That whosoever, that's open to anyone, whosoever believeth in him, you put your trust in him, two, two promises. You should not perish, go to hell, but have everlasting life. You go to heaven. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Please watch carefully what God has done for you. And this is why you need to be saved. This hand representing you and me, my wallet representing sin. Here we are. We are all sinners, all of us. We've all broken 
the commandments of God. We've gone against God's word. We've missed the mark of his perfection. We are sinners. God says we are sinners and Heaven is a perfect place. You cannot get into heaven with even one sin. Here's how you have to be to get into heaven. Sinless in the eyes of God. All your sins have to be gone. God says this. We've broken his laws. There's a fine. There's a penalty. The wages of sin is death. Death. If we are to pay for our own sin, we are going to have to die physically and then spend forever separated from God in hell. God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for me. Most people think, well, who are religious, they'll say, well, I'll do good works and that'll take away the sin. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing we could do to work this sin off. If we die with it, we'll be lost forever. God says, I don't want you to be lost forever. I love you so much. I will send my son to be your substitute and make the payment you need to make. That's your responsibility. But he'll do it for you as a substitute. And that's what he did, this hand representing Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. When Jesus came to earth, sinless, he went to the cross, and when he died on the cross, he took our sin upon himself, and he made the payment for every one of them, past, present, and future. He was buried, he rose from the grave victoriously three days later. And the Bible says, if you will believe in Jesus Christ, trust in him that he did that for you, the moment you do, he gives you everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Once you have it, you have it forever. Once you trust in Christ, you're saved eternally. You don't have to keep doing it over and over and over. Once you're saved, yes, you are saved forever. Now, friend, if you say, well, that's nice, but I, I don't know if I believe that or not. Okay, look at verse 18 again. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Look up here. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Why? Wow, your sins have been taken away. But... He that believeth not is condemned already. Condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Okay? Condemned already. If you die without having trusted Christ as Savior, you will end up spending forever separated from God in hell. You've been told. Okay, And I would be more than happy to tell you over and over and over because I don't want you to go to hell. And certainly God does not want you to go, more importantly. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior today. There's no sin you've ever committed that God cannot forgive. Not a one. Not a one. And when you trust in Christ, all your sins are under the blood of Christ. Won't you trust him today as your Savior? Let's all bow in prayer, shall we? Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, please, no one looking around, I want to challenge you right now, dear friend, to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to trust in him right now. See, if you don't trust in him, you're already condemned. It's not a matter of how you live your life and finding out in the end. No, God says, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're already condemned. Your life is simply a funeral procession. Please trust Him today. Right now, in the quietness of your mind, between you and God, you can talk to Him. Okay, there's no formal prayer. If you want to express your faith by praying, you can. But again, there's no formal prayer. But the best you know how, would you right now put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ? Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. The best I know how right now, I am trusting in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I believe he died for me and paid for my sins. I accept that free gift of eternal life. It is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. He'll give it to you, and it's yours forever. Will you trust Christ? Now, if today, if today you've understood this for the first time, and today you trusted Christ as your Savior... 
Could I pray for you as we close? I won't embarrass you in any way. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand so I can pray for you. Okay, I won't call you out by name. I won't embarrass you. I won't have you stand up. Raising your hand won't save you. It's just for prayer. But is there anyone who would say, yes, today I understood it. I'd like you to pray for me. Today I trusted Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone? Just slip it up, put it down. Is there anyone? Just slip it up, put it down. You can't earn it. God bless you, dear friend. You can put it down. See your hand. Can't earn it. Can't work for it. You don't deserve it. None of us do. But the only way you can escape hell is by putting your faith in Christ. Is there anyone else before we close? Just slip it up. Put it down. Would you pray for me? Today I trusted Christ. Is there anyone else? Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this one who indicated that they were trusting Christ. And Father, you tell us very clearly that anyone who puts their faith in Christ, you save them forever. And we're grateful. Father, please guide us. Guide us all. I pray we would get into your word. We would read it. We would apply it. We would participate, be a part of church, give of ourselves, serve others' needs. Let us, Father, just convict us of the mentality today of being a consumer when it comes to church. Let us not be consumers, but let us be servants. Thank you, Father, for this day. Guide us, we pray. Bring us back safely tonight, we pray. Also, Lord, nourish our bodies with the food that we're going to have today as we come together and have a wonderful meal. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.